Most people don't know how to breathe. Most people don't chew their food. Most people poop in the anatomically wrong position every day. Most people have negative thoughts that predominate their minds. Many people don't have never been taught how to communicate, so it creates a lot of stress and tension in their relationship. Many people don't know how to use their breath to override their stress response and get into a parasympathetic state, which in we heal, repair, regenerate every cell, tissue, organ in our body. So if people don't even know that, it's an uphill battle to do anything for them. And so we realized that if our clients aren't even doing this, and if we're running labs on them, we're sending them home with the message that says, I'm going to fix you, right? Because you're relying on me to interpret that lab result for you and then give you this precise protocol. And you think that you don't have to change anything else. And you're just going to take this and your problems are going to go away. And it, we realize it worked for some people, but it didn't work for everyone. So we, need, we wanted a solution that worked for everyone. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. I have restarted my recording of this podcast approximately five times. And every time I hit stop, it is because I go down this stream of Debbie Downer information but I'm, I'm going to take you there for a hot second and I promise we're going to pop out. And where I'm going to take you is this acknowledgement that we all know it's on the news every day. It's, it's embedded in the, in the headlines. And, and that really is that not just in Canada or the US or any Western nation, we are seeing our healthcare systems in free fall. We are seeing doctors and nurses and administrators uh, managing like unprecedented levels of burnout and fatigue. And we are simultaneously seeing a population with the poorest metrics of health in human history. Notwithstanding the fact that we all used to die before the age of 40 because of infections, we've solved that problem by and large. We are now seeing this epidemic of chronic degenerative quality of life interfering conditions. And here's the hardest part of all of that. It's all preventable. It's all preventable. We're putting all this pressure on the purveyors of health, the practitioners of health for them to fix and lead people to a better way of living, to the resolution of their symptoms. When what we know about all of these pressures on the system is that with the right tools and with the right capacity for empowerment, all of these patients, I say all because statistically probably all, and then there are going to be exceptions to it, all of these patients can actually have a role in reversing or mitigating the symptoms of their diseases themselves. So here's what I want you to imagine as we walk into this conversation. What would be different in our healthcare systems and for your practitioner themselves if their role was divided between managing the sickest individuals who come to them, but simultaneously redirecting the majority of their efforts towards teaching their patients how to become their own doctors, how to manage and optimize their own health? Imagine what would happen if we had a system that honored prevention the same way we honor the intervention around disease. That 
is what I'm talking about with my guest today, Sachin Patel. I've known Sachin for a long time. If you scroll to the very bottom of all of the available podcasts under impact and anthropology, you will find that Sachin was my very first guest. He has been consistent in his message and in his desire to make patients their own doctors, the doctor of the future. He has seen a compelling evolution of how he delivers this type of care and empowerment to his patients. And he is onto something amazing in the way he is running his practice right now, how he is leveraging data and insight that patients can achieve and have in their own homes to drive behavior change that is leading to meaningful outcomes, not with huge hospitals, not with massive infrastructure, not with lineups around the corners, but by pairing the acquisition of data in someone's own home with changes in lifestyle, he's seeing individuals reverse disease. This is the medicine of the future. And this is one of the individuals leading it, my friend, Sachin Patel. Sachin Patel, welcome to Impact. Thank you, Megan. It's wonderful to be here. So great to connect and I'm excited for our conversation today. Well, I, well you know, before we get started, I didn't tell you this as we were just uh, chit-chatting and you, you probably know this already, but um, you were the very first guest when I launched my podcast almost five years ago. And while we have switched the name uh, of the show, it is super exciting to, uh, to have you back. I know a lot has changed in your world and in my world since we had that initial conversation. And as we sort of get into the future of medicine today, I'm wondering if you can just share with everybody, what is your mission and your purpose? Where are your efforts being directed in terms of changing the world right now? Well, I, I would say the biggest effort I'm putting in right now is, is really working on myself. And I feel like that's, that's a thing that I have full control over, at least as close as possible, I have full control over. And I feel that allows me to show up a certain way. And if I'm answering your question more directly, I think that the, the big thing for me is focusing on how to help people become their own uh, practitioner, how to, how to help people become their own doctor and you know live, live a life that unleashes that. And what we realize is that can actually be systemized because as unique and as different as we are, there's some basic foundational things that we all need as human beings. And because we are so far down the spectrum of health uh, in the opposite direction, you know, I find that a lot of people just need to know the basics. And if we can teach practitioners and turn that into turnkey system and solution for them where they can actually help people in groups or at infinite scale, it actually is a potential solution for our healthcare crisis, right? We don't need more doctors, practitioners, nurses, even functional medicine practitioners. We, we need more healthy people. And so how do we build and create more healthy people? We don't have to wait until they get sick to unlock their potential we can unlock their potential from the beginning of time, from the beginning of their existence on this planet. There's two pieces that came up for me when you said that. The first is you're working on yourself. And the the part that I resonate with that so strongly is that my underlying philosophy is that when people have their health, they can change the world. And uh, what I respect about that so much is that you aren't just talking about it, you're actually living that day to day. And you always have. That has been part of your your character and one of the reasons that I I respect you so much. And then you went, okay, well, when I am healthy and I'm continuously working on myself and I am living up to my highest potential, then I can come over here and I can teach people this really powerful tool, which is always find the most powerful tools in life are actually sitting right in front of us the whole time, which is why sometimes it's hard to believe. And that's this idea that people can become their own doctor. 
And so notwithstanding what that could mean for someone's practice, and we'll swing, we'll swing back to that. I, I suspect for a lot of people and maybe even people listening, that in and of itself is actually a jump. This idea that, oh my gosh, you mean my health does not have to be outsourced to someone who's been in school for 85 years? Can you, can you give some context to everyone, but to those people, but what you mean when you say becoming your own doctor? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really important thing for people to understand, even as practitioners for us to understand is that the things that are sabotaging people's health, there are no supplements or lab tests for. And so what we find sabotages people's health is their relationships, the lighting in their home, their lack of connection with nature. They may not understand how to breathe intentionally. Their sleep is sabotaged for a variety of different reasons. So we find people aren't even doing the most basic of things. It's important that we recognize that so we can meet people where they are and we can turn that into uh, a solution for them. Because if they're not doing these things, whatever supplements or lab testing we do is going to be less effective. So how do we get people to buy into their health, unleash their inner healer? And it's in fact what they're looking for, right? They want to be their own doctor. We see that wearable technology is helping us decentralize, you know, self-awareness, right? It used to be that you'd see your doctor once or twice a year or less frequently than that for some people. And you would get some lab work done. And that's the only awareness that you had about your health. But now you can wear an aura ring or other devices and you can get amazing information about yourself with a, such a short feedback loop. So you can make decisions in real time. So there's this ability for us to decentralize the knowledge. And, you know, when people start practically putting these things into play, we actually use a wearable technology to show them how much better they're getting and how fast they're getting better. And so now they have this self-awareness and reinforcement and they're coaching themselves. And they know when they uh, went to bed late. They know when they ate, you know, something they shouldn't have. They know when they ate too late at night. They know when they're not getting enough exercise and movement. So, you know, we can, we can have tools like that coach our clients. So it makes, you know, what we do so much more effective and impactful. What's really amazing about this piece is that I know there's a lot of resistance by practitioners sometimes to relinquish that, uh, that control. And I know we've probably all had those moments where as clinicians under our breath, we're like, oh, come on. As someone comes in and says, you know, I've been reading on Google and they're trying all of these pieces. And, and my evolution is that what I've come to understand is that this is one of the most critical rites of passage that an individual will move through as they garner control of their health. And so rather than begrudging that, what I actually came to find in my practice is I was looking for signs that people were taking that level of control uh, over their health. And so here, here's what I you know, I want to understand on a practical level, you talk about leveraging these tools, and I'm thinking I'm probably attached to four or five of them uh, right now, because I find them fascinating. For me, it's like this fun dopamine hit. It's this gamification of my own alpha. Oh, how can I how can I tweak this a little bit more? Is that the intention behind this? Is that what you are seeing happen? Is that we're getting this sort of dopamine high and excitement about engaging in some of the health basics that are actually traditionally quite difficult to get patients to want to do? Is that what you're seeing in practice? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a gamification and you know, we also are able to coach our clients a little bit better cuz then we can actually look at their metrics and know, okay, here's here's the direction your deep sleep is going in, what happened this night, right? We see that there was some uh, opportunity for improvement there or hey, what happened this night? Your slept really really great, so we can we can coach them better uh, through that process as well. So our coaches look at their 
their data before they get on a call with them so that they can identify and congratulate them on the changes they're making, right? We can see their bedtime, what their average bedtime is, what their average wake up time is, and they love it because now they're being held accountable. So what, you know, coaching is one thing, but then accountability is the second component. And then community, I would say, is the third component. What does this look like in a practical context in terms of setting up your practice this way? Because I suspect this has been a real a real shift for you, even in your business and with the practitioners that that you are working with. I I know there was a time, and maybe you're still doing this, where you were using functional medicine uh, testing. You were you were getting into the minutia of the microbiome of your patients. It, does that still have a role to play in that health journey that you're facilitating, or are you becoming less reliant on those tools? You know, using the theme of impact, what I realized is uh, where can I have the biggest impact? You know, how can I solve a software problem with a software solution? So here's what I want to understand, Sachin. I know that your practice had a focus on on leveraging functional testing and really getting into the minutia of the microbiome or the biochemistry to to give people insight with respect to their health and what's going on at a root level. And now we're, we've gone to this whole sort of decentralized model where uh, you're leveraging these tools to give patients insight. Fill the gap in for me as a clinician in terms of how this has actually shifted your acquisition of outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Megan, for asking this question. So I'll, I'll give you the short sound bites because there's a lot to unpack, but it actually started a few years ago where we actually had a group of patients. So at one point, we were actually ordering the most amount of stool tests in all of Canada. I don't know if that's a claim that I should be proud of that you know we've, we've analyzed more poop than anyone else. Uh, functionally, at least, and um, at one point, I was kind of proud of that, and then I realized that you know that can get really complicated really fast, and this is something I may not be able to do forever, right? I don't know if if the board is going to have a problem with this, or you know they're taking away supplements, they're taking away vitamin C off the shelves, like you don't know what else they're going to take away, and so as an entrepreneur, I had to kind of solve for how do I kind of create a uh, a system that is easy to protect that doesn't lead to any opportunity for misinterpretation that I'm not treating, diagnosing, I'm not even assessing because that just opens me up to a liability can of worms. So we tried to solve for how can I create a program that unequivocally produces results that I could measure and measure way, way more accurately and in more meaningful ways than just blood work. And I could teach people things that will never show up on their lab work, right? Most people don't know how to breathe. Most people don't chew their food. Most people poop in the anatomically wrong position every day. Most people have negative thoughts that predominate their minds. Many people don't have never been taught how to communicate, so it creates a lot of stress and tension in their relationship. Many people don't know how to use their breath to override their stress response and get into a parasympathetic state, which in we heal, repair, regenerate every cell tissue organ in our body. So if people don't even know that, it's an uphill battle to do anything for them. And so we realized that if our clients aren't even doing this, and if we're running labs on them, we're sending them home with the message that says, um, I'm going to fix you, right? Because you're relying on me to interpret that lab result for you and then give you this precise protocol. And you think that you don't have to change anything else. And you're just going to take this and your problems are going to go away. And it, we realize that worked for some people, but didn't work for everyone. So we, need, we wanted a solution that worked for everyone. And so then our solution became more lifestyle driven because that allows us to go from 
there's no room for interpretation that we're treating or diagnosing now. I'm providing you advice that your grandmother probably should have, you know, that you should have listened to, right? I'm giving you things that uh, I'm not doctoring you back to health. I'm just teaching you the basics of how your body works. And then you can make informed and educated decisions about if you want to do that or not. And I'm going to show you things that will help you become a healing machine 24-7, not just when you pop something out of a bottle in your mouth, right? Not just when you eat. So we completely change their perspective and then we quantify it using an aura ring. So now I have data coming in from hundreds of patients every day that unequivocally, scientifically proves the methodology. So now I have way more data points than any other uh, medical practice would or in medical intervention would. So we, we have data that shows and demonstrates the power of what we do. So it's actually become more effective because one of the challenges with functional medicine is show me the data. Yeah. Right. So here's the data. What are the KPIs that you're tracking? What are the, like, the, the key pieces? You're like, there are a lot of metrics we can look at, but these are the ones that are actually indicative of a positive shift in someone's health. Yeah, I would say the one that probably has the most research around it and the one I emphasize the most is HRV because HRV tells me the resilience in your nervous system. And that's a function of how we show up in the world. The more resilient we are in a world that's, you know, seemingly, uh, you know, beating us down and, and putting us through the ringer, the more resilient we are, the more we can get into that parasympathetic state and the deeper we can get into it, the more we can heal. And so we pay attention to HRV as a key metric. We also pay attention to deep sleep. You know, the sleep metrics in general are important to us, but we really want to emphasize that people get adequate amounts of uh, deep and REM sleep. And so we're looking at that metric a little bit more closely. And then resting heart rate. We feel that resting heart rate is a great way to very simply uh, indicate that this person has less stress in their life and, uh, and better health outcomes. I feel like as you were you were describing some of the the fundamentals and foundations, there were like two cohorts of people who were saying, "Oh no," there was a whole group of patients who were like, "I'm sorry, I'm not even I'm not even pooing in the right position," and then we've got all these practitioners who are going, "What is my role if it is not to facilitate those pieces?" And so we could spend all day on appropriate anatomical positions for everything, but for the practitioners in the crowd. Philosophically, where do you see the role of a practitioner residing as we as we progress in our evolution of medicine and care delivery? Yeah, so the, the word doctor, docer, as we all know, means teacher, right? So we're actually just living up to our names, namesake by educating people. And, you know, many practitioners position themselves as the tugboat in the relationship versus the lighthouse. And it's way more fun and cool and the views are better when you're a lighthouse, a lighthouse for people instead of being the tugboat. So really, it's a matter of repositioning ourselves because what I realized, uh, Megan, is that there's no system of healthcare that can save you from yourself. So my job is to save you from yourself. And if I can show you how to do that, right, and make every decision you, you have each day consciously moving you towards the bigger, brighter future that you deserve, then you know, easy, small micro adjustments with a little bit of coaching and nudging, you know, really creates transformation for people. And to me, that's where I get the joy from. I don't get the joy from somebody writing me a check. I mean, they still do, but I get the joy from seeing the transformation, right? That's what drives me uh, to keep doing what I do. So if I can do that faster for people, if I can do it in a more quantified way, so that no matter how you approach this from a cost standpoint, from a data standpoint, from an outcome standpoint, it just checks off all the boxes. And then also from a scalability standpoint, because I can, I can teach people how to do this because it's so simple because they don't have to be 
the tugboat, right? We're afraid of not being a good enough tugboat to tug people across and bring them into the shore, but we can be amazing lighthouses. So it's a, it's a much better position for practitioners to be in to help people save them from themselves, save their, you know, save their entire family simultaneously. In my opinion, so beautiful. Yeah. It becomes, you become the, the uh, purveyor of intergenerational health when you can teach just one person how to make that transition. If you had a magic wand or undue influence on decision makers who manage our system at large, what would you want to do to make this type of awareness for individuals more accessible on a broader scale? So there's a lot of people who, for many reasons, were able to kind of find you or find these philosophies of medicine or move deeper into their healing. But for every one person who is doing that, there are 10 people who have never had access to this way of thinking. How on a very macro level can we start to hand these tools back to people? Yeah. So, you know, that's actually uh, built into our mission as well. So we we work with people on a one-on-one basis and a one-to-many and group basis. And then really we have tools for a one-to-infinity basis as well. So an example of that would be a 30-day program that we created. It's called 30 Ways in 30 Days. And it's 30 of my best tips. So if you were to come in as a client, come to me one-on-one, pay me whatever whatever that fee is, you know, these are the things I would tell you. And it's not until I tell you these things that I can tell you the other things that are actually going to matter and make a difference. So if you're not doing these 30 things, here's where you start. And what we find is that for 80% of people who start doing those things, they don't need us anymore. They don't need to come in and see us. And that's exactly what we want, right? There's so many sick people and so many people that are unwell that we will never run out of people to heal and fix. And that we'll never run out of people who want, you know, what that path looks like to health for them. So the opportunity is is just as abundant. What's the outcome that you are promising in your transformational process? So for us, for the client, uh, many times what they're looking for is reduction in weight. So we see that over and over again. They're looking for a reduction in pain. We see that over and over again. Our, our diabetics, they're usually recommended a CGM. So they're seeing within days their blood sugar stabilizing, and now they feel more in control because they have you know, real-time data of what's happening in their body. We have amazing results with hypertension. Uh, so really the, what, we're, what we're promising people is that they're going to be that next level, that next layer uh, of themselves. They're going to uh, essentially have way better health. They're going to have data that's going to monitor their improvement, their sleep, their HRV, and they're going to have a transformational, you know, not just physical journey, but a transformational mental and emotional journey as well. When we look at those foundational pieces that you are empowering people to understand and and shift in their own lifestyle, I suspect that some are bigger movers and shakers than others. What are a few of those sort of lifestyle uh, elements that when deployed, you see the the strongest shift in terms of physiological response? Yeah. So there's three key pillars that we like to focus on. and, And this is where you can see change happening within two to three days in people and measurable changes specifically. So one is how they breathe, because we're going to take 23,000 breaths today. Do we even take any of them intentionally, right? And if we start taking them intentionally, then immediately we start regulating our nervous system so we can get into a more parasympathetic state. Breath is the fastest way to do that. The second thing that we focus on is circadian rhythm. So every animal and species on the planet sets its biology in accordance to the rising and setting of the sun except humans. So our light sources are usually from fixed positions. 
And so our neurological system never gets the cues of, you know, what proper circadian rhythm is. So by getting outside at strategic times of the day, morning, afternoon, evening, sunrise, sunset, ideally, then, you know, people's biology starts re-regulating itself. And then we do talk about lighting as well. That plays a key role, as you know. And then, of course, sleep. So if we get people breathing right, re-regulating their circadian rhythm, realigning it with the sun, and then also sleeping right, usually within two to three days, they'll see uh, drastic improvements in, in their markers. They'll see improvements in their weight. Their cravings will start to go away because, as we know, poor sleep leads to resistance in insulin, leptin, and also increases ghrelin production. So we start uh, you know, changing their cravings and everything just by modifying and adjusting those things. What does, what does health of the future look like to you? I mean, we're really talking about giving people these basic tools. So inflammation decreases, their, their nervous system has, uh, can govern resilience emotionally, physically, otherwise. Like, wh- what is possible for us when we really start to have these pieces deployed? What is, what is sort of, where can we go in terms of this human potential as we, as we start to um, gain more control over some of these foundational elements? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, that's a profoundly deep question, right? <laughs> Got all day. So lot, lot to unpack there. However, what I would say is we can love more. When we're not in pain, we can love more. When we're not in lack, we can love more. When we're not in scarcity, we can love more. So, you know, to me, I don't know what that world looks like, but I can only imagine how beautiful it is where everyone is abundant-minded, everyone is of service to one another. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about people not being in pain is they can be human. Right. And, and, you know, in, when it comes to our health, when we're in pain or struggling or, you know, stressed out, whatever the case may be, we're in a different part of our brain. We're in a less creative part of our brain. We're in a less focused part of our brain. We're in a less intellectual part of our brain. So we end up, if we're in our emotional brain all the time, which most people are now, we make very emotional, sometimes irrational, illogical decisions. So I can only imagine what a world would be like if, uh, Everyone had peace and harmony and we're in their, you know, left brain, right brain, limbic brain, neocortex, you know, kind of functioning optimally would be pretty, it would be pretty magical, actually. It'd be amazing if everyone could just kind of access that, that flow state and, and align with their impact capacity, it would be, it'd be awesome. You mentioned a word in there uh, that I noticed and the word you used was scarcity. And I've, I've really, I've really honed in on the energy of this word as it manifests for patients. Um, but the other cohort where I'm, I'm really focused on unpacking it is in the practitioner realm. And I think we could probably both agree that maybe not, you, you don't have to agree with me. There is a strong pervasive uh, mindset and energy of scarcity in the wellness industry. How would you support that? How would you speak to that in terms of providing permission, and I think a lot of people are waiting for permission, to simultaneously impact people's lives and uh, lean into their own state of abundance. Can you help create some congruency between those two outcomes? Because I think for a lot of people, they see this as an either or option. And I'd, I'd really love to start to put some language around distilling um, and dispelling that myth. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, what most practitioners experience or is called scarcity is actually more guilt. And 
guilt is is a much lower vibration. So if we don't call it the right thing, then we never go deep enough to actually figure out where it's coming from. So we really have to go there, right? Why why do you feel guilty? What's going on there that we need to unpack, right? So sometimes it's going a few layers deeper uh, to kind of answer uh, the question and kind of meet everyone where they're at is I think a lot of that comes from the people closest to them not taking them seriously. So if the people closest to you don't take you seriously, it creates a low self-worth and so low self-value. Because if the people you love the most don't even listen to you, who are you? To, who are strangers to pay you any kinds of money to listen to you, right? So sometimes who we surround ourselves with and who we base our opinion of ourselves off of, we should never base our opinion off of anyone else's opinion of us. It should the most important opinion we have of ourselves is of ourselves. And so I think that's where a lot of it comes from from people is who you surround yourself with, and then where's the guilt, right? I, I feel more guilty you know, not letting people know what I do, right? I feel more guilty, you know, uh, not charging people enough to listen and pay attention, right? Because I know what my time is worth and I know what their time is worth. And, and you know, on the topic of money, I'm not actually, like, I, I want to help people see value, but I'm not in the business to save them money, right? Because if I really think about it, right, if we just really think about it and extrapolate over a lifetime, what does it cost to live 10 more years? It's 10 more birthday gifts for your wife, you know, 40 more vacations you have to go on now, you know, 20 grandkids you got to spoil every year. Oh my God, right? I'm not going to save you money if you live longer. I'm going to help you live an amazing life so you could enjoy it and you're focused on the smiles on your faces instead of how much your body hurts. So that's what my job is. I'm not trying to save you money. I'm trying to help you live an amazing life so that you can spend your money on the things you want to spend it on, not on things you don't want to spend it on. Was this always your perspective? Pretty much always. So we, you know, so the way to deliver this didn't exist. So we had to create it. And have you ever had people who went, oh, Sachin, that, that doesn't work. Chiropractors aren't this, that like, how did you manage the messaging that challenges the validation of your work? I, I don't have any titles because anytime you put a title in front of my name or after my name, you reduce me. Right, you put me in a box, so you won't see me put my titles anywhere because I am Sachin, right? I'm not what you think I am. I am what I am. And so the message then has nothing to do with me. I'm the messenger. It has nothing to do with my title. I'm the messenger. And if your body is in, in, in resonant frequency with that message, then it's going to light you up. And that's what happens to most people. It lights them up. And they feel that vibration inside of them they've never felt before because nobody's told them this before in a way that resonates with how they deep, deeply feel inside of them. So, you know, we're accessing inside of people what they already know exists, right? So just me talking about it gives me goosebumps. And so what that'll do is it'll give the right people listening to it goosebumps as well, right? Because it charges them in a way because it deeply resonates with who they are. And so those people you can lead and the other ones you can repel. So a good message, the way I look at things is I just came back from a five-day portaging trip and I asked myself now is would I go on a five-day trip with this person, right? And then because I know that that person has my back, I have their back, right? We're going to get to know each other. We're going to build an amazing relationship. So, you know, in our business, we get to choose the criteria of how we want to work with people, who we want to work with. That's what's fun about business, right? And when you take out the titles, then I don't have to do things in a way that have ever been conceived before. Because if I stick to my title, then I've got to follow 
what that title does. Can't reinvent with the title. I love that in the evolution of from our first podcast to where we are now, uh, we've both become titleless in the work uh, that we are doing and putting out into the world. Whether that was your intention or not, you just gave a lot of people permission to just stand in, in the power and in the conviction of what it is that they uh, what it is that they do. And it reminded me of a, of a story. I did theater when I was in high school and, and we put on this uh, production called the love of the nightingale. And our whole philosophy around theater was theater as education. So, uh, the story is centralized around, uh, the oppression of women's voices and there is, there's violence in the play. And so we worked with the women's crisis center and we talked about all of these different pieces. And we had this incredible education as we produced this, uh, play. And in the opening scene, the protagonist comes on and, and he, he cuts out the tongue of this woman. And when we opened this show, half of our audience on opening night, who were parents and supporters from the community, got up and left. They got up and left in the opening scene. And what was so powerful about this is we had, we had an amazing director and teacher who led us afterwards. We were all upset. They left. They didn't want to see our show. And he said, when you have a powerful message and you stand in that place of conviction, you are going to have people who will just get up and leave. But it doesn't mean that the show wasn't powerful. It didn't mean that the scene didn't have uh, an important and compelling message. And it doesn't mean that you who've walked the, the journey of this education have experienced anything less. And it was really such, a, I mean, powerful things came out of that play, but more powerful things came out of that play in recognizing early in my life that when you really do stand for something, people are going to walk away. And that it's not my responsibility necessarily to worry about them and their journey and their experiences that they brought, uh, they brought to the table. It's not necessarily a commentary on my value or worth. So I didn't intend to share the story. It just kind of came to mind as you were talking about that, that piece. I think we expend a ton of energy to avoid losing a single uh, follower or not have a, a patient come back. But the truth is, I think we're missing out on having a whole bunch of people who would resonate with your convicted message um, when we don't actually stand, uh, we don't stand in our power. I want to add to that. And, and I appreciate what you just said there. So one thing that, you know, comes up often uh, for people is, and I'm sure it comes up for you too. I, I can, I, I don't want to speak for you, but it comes up for me and I'll say, well, I'm not that person. I could never do that. Right. And so I used to say that to myself all the time, like, I'm not this person, I'm not that person, I can never do that. And some people might be watching this and say, well, that's Sachin, I can't do that. That's Megan, I can't do that. And the cool thing about that is, is great, you're not supposed to do Sachin, you're not supposed to do Megan, you're supposed to do you. Yeah. Right? So stand, stand in your highest frequency, your highest vibration, like really, as practitioners, we need to first and foremost, discover who we are, so that we can show up in our most powerful way. And that's going to attract the right people and it's going to repel the wrong people. And we just don't have to get emotional about that, right? We get, uh, you know, too emotionally invested in letting the wrong people, you know, not work with us. Let's focus on the right people and change their lives. Right. Because there's a lot of people like there. It's a lot of work to make a lot of people, uh, a lot of people happy. Uh, I, I really appreciate that perspective and that uh, insight. And you didn't speak for me because that's exactly how, uh, how I feel as well. I feel like this is a, a really key, uh, a really key place to transition uh, the interview a, a little bit. And, and I'll just say for those of you who are, are loving Sachin's message, uh, I've invited Sachin to come and participate in Impact Lives, uh, which is taking place November 16th and 20th. He's going to be sharing more about his vision 
for the future of care and what future practices can look like and how we can simplify those to actually get uh, better outcomes. But as we make this transition, Satya and I have a, a section of my interviews uh, that I call impact ingredients. And so these are more rapid fire questions. And so the first question I have for you is when you need it at a moment's notice, how do you cultivate courage? Mm. I just do it. I don't overthink it. I just do it. Just get out of your head. I like how you take very complicated things and you're just like, make them super, you make them super simple. What's your motivational beverage of choice? Ooh, I drink something called cacao calm. And I'll add some mushroom-infused coffee into it when I'm drinking coffee. And it's a, a beautiful, warm, warming ceremonial drink I have every morning. What's the biggest non-negotiable for you in your life? Hmm. I think the biggest one that, uh, I mean, there's, there's many, but uh, I would say the most important one is family. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you learn to become an entrepreneur? I believe genetically, we're, some people are wired to be entrepreneurs. Uh, just based on their executive function, they're they're much more resilient uh, to emotional stressors and traumas and things like that. So uh, I would say I'm blessed with that genetically, and um, I don't let things get to me. So you know, I, I think that uh, it's something that you develop and cultivate over time. But I do believe there's a genetic underpinning that positions people to be uh, advantaged as entrepreneurs. Last question for you: What do you want your legacy of impact to be? Uh, for me, it's generosity. Okay. I like that. It's super succinct and yet massive at the same time. Sachin, you are up to so many incredible things and the work that you are doing with your clients and the doctors of the future, as well as the practitioners who are helping to deploy your message. Where can we send people to follow along with all the adventures you're up to? Oh, that's always the hardest question. So I'll, I'll lead people to two places. Uh, if they want to learn more about our 30-day program that I suggested, and I invite practitioners to create something like this as well, they probably could create a 60-day program easily, uh, is uh, 30 ways in 30 days. So if you go to 30in30.org, uh, you'll get 30 of my best health tips. And if you're a practitioner, check it out. You might uh, learn a few things or you might uh, revisit or reimagine a few things of how you deliver your message. And then I actually created that program seven years ago, and I infused it with timeless wisdom. And it's still relevant to this day. I love it. So it's the, truly the foundations of being healthy. And um, you know we've had over 20,000 people go through that program, and it's absolutely free. So check that out. Uh, and, and I invite you to take a look at that. If you're a practitioner, you can go to Perfect Practice Mentorship. You can learn more about you know, how we coach practitioners and, and help them find and unlock that next level of themselves. And uh, yeah, we're always happy to, to help and contribute to the cause of you know, making an impact and uh, also making an income. Why not? Why not? Everyone can get their hands on all of those links as well as a ticket virtually or in person to Impact Lives by heading over to meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Sachin, it is always a pleasure. I can't wait to see you again soon. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Megan. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.